Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, within God's Word. Mark, chapter 14, within God's Word. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And we'll take care of that after the message. Amen. Mark, chapter 14 this morning within God's Word. If you did not receive this morning a sermon study guide, make sure that you lift your hand as well, and we'll get one to you this morning. Amen. Ushers, help us out, serve us this morning. If you did not receive a sermon study guide, lift your hand. If you don't have a Bible, even though I'll be placing the Scriptures on the screen behind me, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you, in the pew rack. I believe it's important at least for the main text, to be able to look it up in the Bible and know where the Gospel of Mark is found in your Bible. Learn to be a Bible Christian. Amen. Mark chapter 14 this morning, and make sure you have a sermon study guide if you want to follow along. A couple, a married couple, was just like my wife and I. My wife and I, she's gone to Texas right now. Don't tell her that I told you. My wife and I, well, let me put it this way, we're very close in age. In fact, our birthdays are even closer. Our birthdays are less than a month apart. And this particular married couple was just getting ready to turn age 60. They were both age 60. And their birthdays were very close. So they thought, we'll economize. And instead of two birthdays, birthday parties, instead of two cakes, we'll have one big birthday party, one big birthday cake. And as they made a wish and got ready to blow out the candles, all of a sudden, miraculously, an angel appeared. And the angel said, I will grant any one wish. And so the woman beaming with a loving smile, looked at her husband and said, I always wanted to travel around the world with you, honey. Angel, I would love to have tickets for a round-the-world tour with my loving husband. And so, whoosh! Tickets appeared on the table for a round-the-world tour for this husband and his wife. The angel now turned to the husband and said, Sir, what is your fondest wish? Mischievously, he looked at the angel and said, I'd like to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. Whoosh! He was made 90 years old. Watch what you wish. <laughs> the wives out there are having a spiritual experience. Parties. In Mark chapter 14, to understand the context and the historical context of Mark chapter 14, you need to understand this is a party that's going on in Mark 14. It's a party to honor Jesus. It's Jesus' last party. His last party. The shadow of the cross is already looming over him. He's being honored because of raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a joyous occasion. We can imagine the laughter. We can imagine the happy conversation that's going on. All goes well until a young lady throws a wet blanket on the whole affair. In she comes, crying, weeping, with a jar of perfume in her hands. She doesn't pour just a drop. That was customary to anoint with a drop of perfume in those smelly times and smelly situations of the dusty, dirty roads of Palestine. It was customary to anoint with a drop of perfume your guests that come to your party. She did not just give just a drop. She did not just pour the perfume. She broke the perfume jar. It was made of alabaster. She broke it 
and poured the contents upon the head of Jesus down to the feet of Jesus. As she's crying and weeping, she took her long, long hair and wiped the feet of Jesus and worshipped Him there. As she's weeping before Him, He had raised her dead brother back to life again. And she is now worshipping Him as her Savior and her Lord. Well, this act of devotion was not missed by the critics that were there. Let's read what the Bible says. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. She did not want just the very last drop of pouring. She wanted to break the jar and make sure that her all was given. Even the, the drops of perfume in the very corners and crevices of that perfumed jar. John 12, 3, and anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped them with his hair. Mark 14, 4, and some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. If you look up in the original Greek, those words translated rebuked sharply and harshly, that literal word is used for the snorting of horses. That means that their criticism was cruel. Their criticism was to the very heart of Mary. It struck at her very personhood. So there it is. Jesus' party is ruined. How is Jesus going to react? More importantly, how does he react today? This morning I preach a message to you, sweet or stinky. Pray with me, Father. Grant us ears to hear this morning and hearts seasoned by your Holy Spirit, hearts to receive for your honor and your glory's sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen. If you're following along with me in the sermon study guide, would you fill in the blank this morning? Why did Mary's perfume pouring ignite such a storm of criticism at this party. Well, Mary's critics had two complaints. They had two complaints. Complaint number one. Note that their first complaint was this. Why such a waste? This is a waste. This is a waste of money. Maybe there's some husbands here this morning that are saying, what's the problem with pouring out a whole jar of perfume? Uh, hey, I get my wife perfume all the time at the dollar store. I mean, what's the problem here? These, these critics of Mary were saying, why such a waste? Well, we find out in Mark chapter 14, verse 3, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. And it was made of what ingredient? Pure nard. In that day and time, in that historical context, pure nard was a root of a plant that only grew alongside the Ganges River in India. They didn't have any planes or trains at that day and time. And so to import something from India all the way to Palestine, Israel. It came through the caravan route. The camels would bring it. Extremely expensive. How expensive? The Bible says that this was so expensive that it was worth a year's wage. How much do you make in a year? From the poorest person here to the richest person here. How much do you make a year? Either way, 
We're talking ultra expensive perfume. Their second complaint. What was their second complaint? Do you remember their second complaint? First of all, they say, it's a waste. She, she has committed a waste. The second complaint was this. You see, they said she could have sold that perfume. At the very least, she could have sold it on Craigslist, taken the proceeds, and given the proceeds to the poor. It was the eve of the Passover, and it was very customary to give donations and contributions to the poor. What are you already seeing? Who's ringing the bell outside of department stores right now? Who? We're used to, we know Christmas is coming, don't we? Because it's customary to give donations, contributions to the poor at Christmas time. Customary in that day and time to give alms, to give donations to the poor. So they are getting super spiritual on her. Have you ever get ever have anybody in your family circle, your friendship circle get get you know, they always got a scripture verse for something. They preach at you. They come off as super spiritual, hypercritical, holy Joes. And that's what this group is doing with Mary. If you were really a woman of God, you would have given the proceeds from that perfume sale to the poor. So they criticized her. Mark 14, verse 5, they rebuked her harshly. Rebuked her. Criticized her. They shortchanged her. Oh, you heard about the three doctors that went to heaven. You heard about the three doctors that went to heaven. Hmm? As I'm talking about being critical, as I'm talking about being rebuked, you heard about the three doctors that went to heaven. Three doctors went to heaven. The first doctor that went to heaven, St. Pete said as he came through the pearly gates, what kind of a doctor were you? He said, I was an obstetrician. St. Pete said, what's an obstetrician? He says, I assist. Uh, I'm a doctor when it comes to the labor and the delivery of babies. St. Peter said, oh, job well done. Enter into the glory of heaven. The next doctor that came up said, I'm a pediatrician. St. Pete said, what's a pediatrician? He said, I assist. I apply the medical arts to children. I only treat children. St. Peter said, oh, job well done. Enter in through the gates of heaven enjoy the glories of heaven the third doctor came up very proudly and and saint pete said what kind of doctor were you and saint and the doctor said i created and i launched the affordable health care act of the United States of America. St. Pete said, that sounds mighty important. Enter into heaven. And as the doctor was walking through the pearly gates, all of a sudden St. Peter said, oh, and by the way, you only have three days here, and then you got to leave. <laughs> if you don't get it, ask somebody tomorrow about it. Mary's critics moved from criticizing what she had done. Have you ever had problems with your relatives like this or family or friends? They not only criticized her behavior, they criticized her person. It got personal now. I want you to see that in the biblical text. And who led the charge of the criticism? Does anybody know who led the charge? It's the first time we finally hear his voice in all the Gospels. It's the first time he speaks. Who led the charge of being critical and hypocritical? Judas. And more than super spirituality here, more than being hypercritical here, Judas himself is a hypocrite. How do we know that? John reveals this in his version of the story in John chapter 12. John records he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
And as keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. But let me tell you something. Your family and friends, I mean, time and time again, you might be treated harshly, you might be treated with criticism from them. What they say is not important. Their criticism in the final analysis is not important. Whose judgment in the final analysis is all important? Jesus's. How did Jesus react to this pouring of perfume? How did he respond? And more importantly, how does he respond today? Mark chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. What is this beautiful thing that the pouring of the perfume represented? Look at verse 7. Verse 7. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Have you ever read that in the Bible? Did you realize that? That's a command from Jesus. Jesus has commanded us to memorialize Mary of Bethany. Jesus has commanded us preachers and teachers that whenever we preach and teach the gospel around the world, we are to remind the audience, we are to remind the listeners, we are to remind the congregation of this act of devotion by Mary, the pouring of perfume upon Jesus. What is this all about? What does this mean? What was it about Mary that caught the attention of God? Do you catch God's attention? What was it about Mary that's so powerful in the eyes of Jesus? Je Jesus' rebuke, the Bible says, was so strong. His rebuke of Judas was so strong John records that right after Jesus rebuked Judas, what did Judas do? He made the arrangements for the betrayal. Mark it down. So, when we look at this party in Mark chapter 14, we have two kinds of people in the room. We have two kinds of attitudes in the room. We have two kinds of lifestyles in the room at this party in Mark chapter 14. One, one, one lifestyle is sweet and one lifestyle is stinky. Woo-wee. In the nostrils of God. Stinky. Which are you? That's the question this morning. Which are you? Sweet or stinky? Mark it down if you would. Mary's perfume pouring was a beautiful thing to Jesus because it expressed extravagant, over-the-top, radical love. Sir, ma'am, young person, when was the last time that you poured, poured out, you poured out, you poured out the very last drop of your all, of your all unto the Lord? In radical love, over-the-top love for God. When was the last time you caught God's attention? By doing something that was so over-the-top, the Lord said, look, there's my child. My child so loves me. My child is willing to sacrifice, <laughs> to step out of the boat, <laughs> because they so believe in me and so love me. When was the last time you caught God's attention? With radical love? Listen, Christianity is not a long-distance affair. It's personal, and it's close up. Christianity is more than the recitation of doctrine or religious creed. Christianity is a love affair with a lover of your soul, and his name is Jesus, and he's just as close as the mention of his name. He wants to walk and talk with you. 
along life's narrow way. Christianity, as we've shared so many times in our witnessing, is not religion. It is a personal relationship with the lover of your soul. And your passion for your Jesus might be expressed by, by your, your, your deep, intense prayer life. It might be expressed by praying in the Spirit, in your prayer language. It might be expressed with the lifting of hands, the singing of songs of worship unto Him. It might be expressed with shouting, Hallelujah! Glory to God! I'm a soul that's been set free! Thank you, Jesus! Your passion for your Lord might just be silently sitting on the couch in your great room and allowing Him to wrap His sweet arms of love all around you as you are still and know that He is God. Resting in his presence. Radical love. Mark it down. Radical love for our Lord is loving also what he loves. Our Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. You truly cannot love God. You cannot truly love God I'll repeat it again. You cannot truly love God unless you love what God loves. No one can say that they're a Christian. No one can say that they're walking with the Lord unless they truly love what the Lord loves. What the Lord loves. If you want to grow in God, if you want to mature spiritually, seek out. Search out what God loves. Search out the beat of God's heart. What is his heart uh, beating for? What is his heart broken over? Seek it out. Catch God's attention. And then move out in extravagant, over-the-top, radical love. And be sold out for him no matter what the cost. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus so loved the world that he did more than talk about it. He did more than express sympathy, pity, and feelings for the world. Jesus demonstrated his love. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for the world? Tell me, somebody, preach to me this morning. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for the world? At the cross, he died for you and I. He died for you before you even knew Him. He died for you while we were yet enemies of the cross. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. And He shed His blood uh, and He sacrificed Himself. He poured out the perfume of His life down to the last drop to save your soul, to save my soul because the stakes were so high. It took God in flesh, the Son of God, to be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary and be a broken alabaster box for you and I spilled out, poured out, down to the last drop to conquer sin, hell, death, and the grave so that you might have salvation, eternal life. It's no wonder that Christ's final instructions, it's no wonder that the last words of Jesus expressed his love for a lost world. And these last instructions were not a choice, they were a command. They were not the great suggestion, they're known as the great commission. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Over these next few weeks, I covet, I covet, I covet your prayers. I don't say this braggadociously or melodramatically. Many of you have heard that I've been invited to preach at our seminary in Albania 
and to especially be the keynote speaker at a conference for Christian businessmen in Palermo, Sicily. We'll be leaving on December the 3rd. The missionaries have alerted me that I'm coming into a crossfire in the Italian Assembly of God Church. For decades, the Italian Assembly of God Church in Italy, which thinks of itself, boasts of itself as being an older Pentecostal church than we are here in the States. The problem is their mission's vision has been internalized. Their idea of missions is only for Italy. All of their missions dollars, their mission support, their missions focus, Italy, internalized. And they've asked your pastor to come. I'll be preaching three times at the conference for nothing but Christian businessmen of Italy to stir them, to inspire them, to challenge them to be world Christians. When you're really in love with the Lord, you're in love with what God's in love with. And our God is not just an Italian Christian. He's not just an American Christian or a German Christian. He's a world Christian who has a heart for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he gave, not an angel, but his only begotten son. And he's a father who keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving. And he might be calling you on your phone right now. You better listen to him. You better listen when God talks, when God speaks. God's speaking this morning and He's calling you and I to go to all the nations of the world. World Christians are globally minded. World Christians know that God is able to send a revival to China. God is able to break the demonic strongholds of India. God is able to go where no man can shut the door and no man can open the door because we serve a great God and He asks us to ask greatly and believe greatly for mountains to be moved, strongholds to be pulled down, and for our God to invade the darkness with His marvelous light. Hallelujah! A woman, a woman was at the checkout counter and she was purchasing a large number of brand new clothes. And the clerk noticed in her purse that there was a TV remote control. And uh, the clerk said to the dear lady, uh, can I ask you, excuse me for being a little nosy, but I'm so curious, why is there a TV remote control in your purse? And she looked mischievously at the store clerk and said, well, my husband refused to go shopping with me, so I did the most legal evil thing I could do to him. Don't you know that would drive most of us husbands insane? World Christians don't live to get. World Christians don't live to hurt. World Christians live to give. They live to give. They live to give smiles. They live to give joy. They wake up each morning uh, with one prayer upon their heart, who can I be a blessing to today? Instead of, Lord, give me a blessing, they're praying, God, make me a blessing. Uh, help me to bring somebody up. Help me to make somebody's day brighter. Help me to be an uplift instead of a downer. Anybody can be a downer. And you know, you work with some of them. You go to school with some of them. I'm talking about the people that, man, they're going to look at life half empty no matter how you want to perceive it or view it. I don't know about you, but as long as the, my heart's beating and I'm breathing and both feet hit the floor when I get out of bed and my name's not in the obituary column, hallelujah, it's going to be a great day. God, use me to be a blessing. 
Use me to encourage somebody today. Use me to give a smile to people. Use me to bring people up instead of bringing people down. Being a world Christian starts at home base. It starts with your marriage. It starts with your children. It starts with your parents. How dare you give to missions when you're not giving your obedience and your love to your family members? If you're not being sacrificial, if you're not being obedient to the Lord in your home, how can you be obedient to the Lord in reaching the world for Jesus Christ? Being a world Christian begins with your immediate relationships. Being a world Christian begins with your community. Being a world Christian begins with the world of work, world of school, the world called your neighborhood, the world called your, your family and relatives. And if you're Italian, that is a big world. If you didn't get the point, you Italians have big family reunions. Never talk about an Italian because they could be related to somebody you know. What's your world? What's your world? What's your world? God's called you to that world. Start there. But don't, don't neglect the greater planet, the greater world, the greater globe. Live to give. Live to give. God promises to be a blessing to those who are a blessing. Look at what God said in Isaiah. I love this verse. When you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your healing is going to quickly come. I'm convinced that many people shortchange themselves on the miraculous and on miracles because they're so focused on their own needs, their own problems. And God is calling you to start focusing on Jesus' focus, a lost and a hurting world. Listen, if you'll focus on God's work, God will take care of your work. You hear me in this? Be a world Christian! And watch what God can do in and through your life. Jesus said this in Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. A young man, a young man was speaking to his fiance over dinner at a fine, fine restaurant. And he said, honey, as his voice broke and crackled, honey, I love you more than, than, than life itself. My, my darling, without you, life has no meaning. I'd crawl across the burning sands of the desert for you. I'd swim the deepest oceans to reach out and touch you. I'd fight wild tigers to protect you. She said, so you want me to pick up the check? Please, he said. Love is not what you say. Love is not how you feel. Real love is what you do. It's demonstrated. That's why I'm so proud of you, Lakeside Assembly of God, for demonstrating your love, for being a world Christian, as we have moved through another missions, a missions emphasis here at Lakeside Assembly of God. Write it down, if you would, with me, before we condemn Mary's critics. What kind of Christian are you? A, a, a sweet Mary Christian or a stinky Judas Christian? Ever hear a stinker? Ever hang around a stinker? Ever picked up on the attitude of stinkers, the, the responses or the questions of stinkers? I've pastored now full-time either this church or other churches for more than 30 years. And I've had to deal with stinkers my whole pastorate. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be dealing with stinkers from now until eternity. 
Hallelujah, stinkers will not be allowed into heaven. Stinkers, stinkers. Do you know what they sound like? Have you ever heard a, a stinker talk in the church? Just how important, Pastor, is prayer anyway? Uh, do we really have to stand and sing and clap our hands and lift our hands and pray? I don't like that. Is tithing, is tithing really the first tenth of the income? Uh, am I supposed to tithe bef uh, before the gross or, or, or uh, on the net? Uh, Pastor, uh, my kids always make fun of me when I talk like this. Pastor, is it really important to be faithful Sunday after Sunday to the church and its services? Jesus died for the church. He gave himself up for the church. You better love what Jesus loved or you'll be in trouble. Stinkers will look you, stinkers will look you right in the eye. I've had them look me in the eye and tell you that reaching the lost is not on their agenda. I've had them look me in the eye and say, there's golf balls to hit. Pastor, there's fish to be caught. There's a football game to go to. Pastor, there's beaches to, to recline on. I don't have money for, for world missions. Yeah, I know the world is lost, but it's really none of my concern. That's the gift of the missionaries. That's their job. I already tithe, and now you want me to give to missions? But when you pour out, when you pour out extravagant love, like Mary, it's no wonder Jesus said she has done a beautiful thing. It's no wonder Jesus said, wherever the gospel is being taught or preached, I want this story told. Jesus was one who would live to give. When you're a sweet, sweet saint like Mary, no one has to urge you to press into God's presence and lift up holy hands and pour out your worship and adoration to Him. No one has to emphasize the priority of being a, a world Christian, to love what God loves, to have your heart broken over what breaks God's heart, to support world evangelism through your prayers and through your giving, to move in radical love, to reach the lost no matter the cost. It just becomes a natural overflow of your walk with Jesus. For when a person is really in love, no cost, no sacrifice. Was it the Supremes who sang, no mountain is so high, no valley is so low, that this wasn't in my notes. <laughs> I'm going to keep on loving you, something like that. No cost, no sacrifice, no effort is too great. Lastly. Let's be clear, this call to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to her Lord, this call to extravagant, radical love is more than money. Get that out of your head. It's the giving of our all. It's the giving of our all. Young people, if you've heard anything this morning, I want you to now to focus in because I'm going to really be directing these words to you in just a moment. Your whole life is ahead of you. I'm speaking to you right now, especially our young people who are here this morning, our young adults, our young marrieds who are here this morning. It's the giving of our all. i got to learn to put these fill-in-the-blanks and the last sentence of my sermon. Then I wouldn't hear purses closing and people rustling as you're getting ready to leave. <laughs> I'll get, I, I'm still learning after 30 years. I really am. I'm not done yet. So hang with me. This giving of your all, this pouring out of a fragrant uh, offering, it's more than money. 
When I think here at Lakeside, at this moment right now as I'm preaching, do you know that there's an unseen army of people that are behind the scenes making this service, this church, its ministry happen? Do you realize that there are Sunday school teachers, there's children's church workers, there's nursery workers? Do you realize there's sound booth people up there right now that are behind the scenes? To me, these are the unseen heroes of Lakeside Assembly of God laboring, giving their all. It's easier to sit in a pew and be entertained it's easier to be sitting in a pew and be fed but these are giving their all week in and week out as they pour out their life as a fragrant offering unto the Lord I think of so many of you that usher that host us that greet you teach classes you minister to our children you minister to our young people you minister in praise and worship up here on stage and and behind the scenes God bless you I thank you for being a world Christian and pouring out your life unto Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Now I'm going to get emotional. When you've pastored as long as I've had the same church, you get the privilege of performing baby dedication over children and then those same children, you get to marry them. And then you get to pray over them as they go into full-time ministry. Parents, don't get mad at me. I just quick wrote down some names that came to my memory. I probably have forgotten some names, and so please forgive me in advance. But there's children that have grown up in this church that are now in full-time ministry today because they want to pour out their life as perfume unto the Lord. They could have been lawyers. They could have been doctors. They could have been bankers. They could have gone in the automotive business, but they wanted to go in the eternity business. I'm speaking of children like David and Ann Beringer who are in full-time pastoral ministry today. I'm, I'm speaking of children like John Kozak and Carrie Mills, now John and Carrie Kozak, who are serving the Lord in full-time ministry today as I speak. I'm speaking of, of children that have grown up in this church like, like, like Julie Hakes, who used to be Julie Christ, and Jonathan Christ, who is a pastor in Southern California right now. Uh, these are young people that grew up in this church church and at one time or another they presented their life before the Lord and they said here am I send me not my will but thy will be done poured out poured out poured out poured out unto the Lord and God is still looking God is still listening God is still calling I pray, I pray, I pray that you'll understand that being a world Christian, pouring out your life to Jesus is more than just signing a check. It's all about giving your whole person unreservedly unto the Lord. Poured out to Jesus as a sweet perfume, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Some of these that I've mentioned, their friends, their associates said, you're a fool. You're a fool. Your whole life is before you. You can make a lot of money giving your life to ministry full time. You're, what a waste. You're a fool. Some of you, as I look into your eyes, I've counseled you, I've talked with you, and your own family members, your own relatives, because you attend this church, because you give of the Lord's tithe and your offerings. And then on top of that, you filled out a faith promise card and you give to missions, to world outreach. Your own family and friends have said, you're a fool, what a waste. Uh, you're sipping Kool-Aid at Lakeside Assembly. They got you drinking their Kool-Aid. It's a cult. You're a fool. And without a show of hands, how many of you Without, without a show of hands, how many of you have dealt with those accusations? And yet, you keep on keeping on. Because you're not worried about what people think. You're worried about what your God thinks. Their judgment is always wrong. His judgment is always right. 
he has said, even if a cup of water I place within your hand, then I grant you, great is my reward if you give it in my name. He's watching. He's listening. He looks at our motives. He sits through our hearts. He's looking for a people that will not just do a drop or two, but that will break the alabaster jar of their life and pour out their best for Him, for the glory of God. In the early 20th century, she was 18 years old when Lillian Trasher heard the call of God and said, Here am I. Here am I. Send me. And God sent her. God said, I want you to go where no one else has gone. I want you to go where the Christian message is not being proclaimed. I want you just not to preach it. I want you to show it. And I want you to to open up an orphanage for the abused, abandoned children of Egypt. Muslim-controlled Egypt. Lillian Trasher heard from God and said yes to God. And when she told her parents about it, they said, you're a fool! We want you to go to college! We want you to make something of yourself! What a waste! They would not support her, they rejected her, and they abandoned her. She raised enough money for a one-way ticket. It became her last ticket. She sailed by ship many months, arrived in Egypt, and there, like a sweet perfume, she poured out, she poured out, she poured out her life upon the people of Egypt. She launched the greatest orphanage ministry within the Assemblies of God at that time in the land of Egypt. Hundreds, yea, thousands of children came under her care and found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In 1963, President Nasser of Egypt rose up and went to the microphone at her funeral and gave her the title Mother of Egypt as all Egypt celebrated a holiday in memory of Lillian Trasher. And the Lillian Trasher Orphanage Ministry goes on today as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the Lord. So there it is this morning. There's no middle ground in this. There's no halfway measure. How about it? Will you be sweet? Or stinky. Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion. Lord, the sacred supper that Lord is a supper. God, that's commemorates the greatest demonstration of love known to man. Christ on a cross. Lord, you could have sent an angel. You could have given us just a nice idea, a sermon, a philosophy. But you shed your blood. You gave your best. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd come, Holy Spirit, and knock on hearts' doors this morning in the name of Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And as God the Holy Spirit is knocking upon hearts' doors, I, 
It is my grand, grand privilege and is my grand desire to see everyone receive Holy Communion. But I must warn you, if you're not in right relationship with the love of your soul, Jesus Christ, if you have not committed your whole life to Jesus, if He does not rule and reign upon the throne of your heart, if you're not right with God, if you're not sure you have a home in heaven, you cannot receive Holy Communion. To do so is to bring damnation upon your life. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're not sure you're right with God and you want to be sure, if you're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be sure, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in that prayer of salvation, just lift up your hand right now. Lift up your hand right now by faith. Faith believing and faith receiving. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Four hands, five hands, six hands, seven hands lifted up for Jesus. God bless you. More importantly, heaven sees those hands. It's a demonstration of your faith. God bless you. Eight hands lifted up for Jesus. God bless you. You're willing to pour your life out to the Lord. No reservation. Nine hands lifted up for Jesus. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Pray with me right now if you would. You that have lifted up your... Ten hands lifted for Jesus. You that have lifted up your hands. Make this prayer your prayer. Everyone pray it out loud. Especially you that have lifted up your hands. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you are my Savior. I believe you paid the price for my sins. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for accepting me as a sweet perfume offered up unto you. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. If you lifted your hand and prayed that prayer with me, listen to me right now. And there were 10 of you. At least 10 that I counted. It's really important that the 10 of you, after the service, meet with us down here in front. Pastor Hal and the elders, the prayer partners will be down here in front. We have a gift to give you. A starter's kit. And even if this is a rededication, and you know the Bible backwards and forwards, I still want you to come. We need to pray with you counsel you and make sure that you get bonded bonded to the family of God here or you won't grow as a Christian God bless you for pouring out your life to Jesus